Well, as most of you know, some of you may not, I live with two cats, and I have a picture of them. Um, Hobson and Hannah. Hobson is the one looking at you. Hannah is my sweet, lovable kitten uh, who just is precious, as you can tell. Hobson is always looking for something to get into. They are very sweet kitties, however... Uh, They do not understand what the word obey means. Now, for those of you who have dogs, dogs love, they live to obey their masters, right? They just, whatever you want them to do, a dog will do. Cats would fail obedience school. Cats will not do anything you tell them to do. Uh, And Hobson is my really disobedient child. I have another picture of him. Uh, There is, there is no such thing as a Christmas tree intact in my house because every day I'd go home and the tree skirt is in the next room and he's wrapped up in it and all the ornaments on the bottom of the tree. So if you come to my house at Christmas, I'm just going to tell you there are no ornaments on the bottom of the tree. It's for a reason. Hobson does not understand obedience. When I tell him, don't chew on that electric cord, and he chews on it, I'll go, okay, you're going to find out very quickly why you should obey me. Cats don't comprehend the concept of obedience. However, Joshua and the Israelites, and you knew I was going to get there, but Joshua and the Israelites... At this point in their journey, this week, they understand what obedience is. And so as we study Joshua 5 and 6 this week, they're finally in the promised land. They have finally crossed the Jordan, and now it's time to start defeating their enemies and taking the land that God has promised to them. And as I was studying these two chapters the last two weeks, there were two words that kept jumping out at me. And those words are trust and obey. If the Israelites were going to see victory in the promised land, if they were going to enjoy their inheritance and the blessings that God had promised through the Abrahamic covenant, those two words would have to be part of their lives. And those two actions go hand in hand. You really can't have one without the other. If you trust God, You're going to obey him. And you can't obey God without trusting him. So they go hand in hand. And we need to live by these two words, trust and obey. We need to do that as we battle our enemies, the flesh, the world, (coughs) Satan. So two questions we need to ask ourselves as we look at these two chapters. Would somebody grab me some water? I'm sorry, I got a tickle in my throat. (coughs) Two questions we need to ask as we look at these two chapters. One, Lord, do I trust you with where you have me in my life? (coughs) Do, Do I trust you with what is going on in my life? And the second question, am I obeying you? Or am I like a cat, like my Hobson, 
who's doing my own thing and, and tuning you out and just, I'll do what I want to do. So today I want to share three principles from these two chapters that we looked at this week. Three principles from Joshua 5 to 6 to help us trust and obey God as we fight our own battles, our own Jerichos. So the first principle is we need to be patient. We need to trust God's timing. And we already talked two weeks ago uh, when I was talking about the tools that God uses in our lives to use us. One of the tools is the tool of delay and how God uses that in all of our lives. Again, they had just passed the, the Jordan River. God had opened it. He brought them all in. And in chapter 5, verse 1, it starts, he says, Their hearts melted, talking about the Canaanites. There was no spirit in them any longer. From a human perspective, that is the perfect time to go in and attack Jericho. I mean, they're defeated. They're, they're worried. They're discouraged. They're down. There's no spirit. The momentum is on our side, God. Let's go. Let's take this the city now makes sense. That's what I would have said. But God said, wait. This wasn't the right time according to God's plan. Would they trust and obey his plan or would they move forward on their own timing? And as you saw, they chose to be patient and wait on God's timing. They trusted and obeyed. <clears throat> I shared this morning I love this generation today. Uh, they're so different from their, and I'm talking about the generation in Joshua, not here today. But, I, and I love the generation today too. But uh, I love in the in Joshua this generation that had crossed the Jordan. They were so different from their parents in the wilderness. If their parents had been here, they would have said, "There's no way we're waiting. We're going on. We're taking this land." This generation trusted and they obeyed. They're off to a good start until next week. (laughs) If we're going to trust and obey God as we encounter battles, we have to be patient and wait on God's timing, even when the timing doesn't make sense. And that's easier said than done. I agree. I struggle with waiting on God. When I was in college, I was getting ready to graduate. I was a med tech student working in a lab at Baton Rouge General. And I wanted a job lined up before I graduated. And there was a lab, the bacteriology lab, which we affectionately called BACT. And they were talking about they were going to hire somebody to work in that lab. And I wanted that job, but they didn't have it open yet. Well, instead of waiting... I decided that, well, I'm going to help God out. I'm going to find a job for myself. So I went to a different lab to blood bank and said, do y'all need somebody to work in blood bank? And they were like, well, actually, yeah, we do. So they hired me. And then the very next day, Bakhti called me and said, hey, would you come work with us? That was my number one choice. Bakhti was, I mean, blood bank was the second plan B. But I messed things up. I couldn't go back then and change it. I'd already made the mess. If we want to move forward in God's plan, we need to wait and not take things into our own hands. That's the first principle. Be patient. 
Wait on God's timing. Let him do what he needs to do and don't get ahead of him. Well, then that brings us to our second principle, be prepared. Before we fight battles and strongholds in life, we need to be spiritually prepared. And God is going to use the tool of preparation here. We talked about that tool two weeks ago. God knew that the Israelites were not spiritually ready yet to go into Jericho and take the city. There were a few issues that he needed to address first. So let's look at these four things that were part of God's preparation. You talked about these this morning in your small groups. So this is just review. Uh, The first thing was the circumcision in verses 2 through 9. You know, God told Joshua, make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. He wasn't saying that, hey, do this to them twice. They hadn't been circumcised. He was referring to the second occurrence of circumcision. The first time was in Egypt before they left. This would be the second time because their fathers did not circumcise their sons in the wilderness. And so that was the instruction given to Joshua. Now, why was this necessary before they went into battle? Because they were getting ready to possess the land that God had promised through the Abrahamic covenant. And circumcision was the sign that they were part of this covenant. If they were not circumcised, they were not part of the covenant. They couldn't possess the land. And Joshua trusted and obeyed. Verse 7, it says he obeyed God, he circumcised the men. This was an act of faith for both Joshua and the men because they were going to be incapacitated for a few days. They were going to be hurting and in pain. And what if, if the Canaanites got word that these men were laying around moaning and groaning and they decided to attack them, Joshua would be the only man that could do anything. And so there, were, there could have been a lot of fears, but they trusted God, and they obeyed, because not only Joshua obeyed by doing it, the men obeyed by allowing him to do it. They did not let fear or the what-ifs get in the way of trusting and obeying God. So what's the application for us today? One of my seminary professors said there's always application that we can pull to today. Well, obviously, we're not going to get circumcised. So what does this mean for us? Well, just as circumcision is a picture of cutting away and removing the flesh, we need to cut away and remove the sins of our flesh. Paul talks about that in Romans 2 circumcising our hearts, getting rid of the the flesh and the sins and the thoughts of the flesh. We need to come before God holy, confessing our sins, purifying ourselves, purifying our hearts. Hebrews 12, 1 instructs us to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. So we need... Before we head out to fight battles, we need to make sure we've got clean hearts 
that we're not letting the flesh continue to contaminate us and rule us. The second thing that was part of the preparation was the Passover in verse 10. This was only the third Passover that the nation had observed. The first was the night before they left Egypt. And then the second was at Mount Sinai a year later, right before they broke camp and they moved toward Canaan. And then this was the third time. This was the the third time here at Gilgal that they would experience and, and celebrate the Passover. Well, what was the significance of the Passover before they fought the first battle? I mean, couldn't they just wait till they defeated Jericho and then just have one big happy celebration? Well, the Passover was a time to remember what God had done for them when he brought them out of Egypt, when he brought them out of slavery. It was a reminder then, if God worked in that way with the Egyptians, remember and just be reminded, I will work for you with the Canaanites. It was a reminder of how God has worked in anticipation of how he would work for them as they moved forward. So again, what's the application for us today? You know, we as Gentiles don't typically observe the Passover meal. But we do need to take time and remember and reflect on all that God has done for us. We need to take time uh, to remember. We Yes, we observe the Lord's Supper, communion, and that's a time that we look back and reflect on what he did on the cross for us, and we look forward to what when he comes back for us. But we need to do this every day. We need to reflect every day on God, this is what you've done for me, and I can't wait to see how you're going to work in the future. Five years ago, I got a thank you journal from Pat Rooks and Nancy Tippett, who gave me a five-year thank you journal. And I am on my fifth year of that journal, and I've told them how much I love it. It has been good for me. It's just been a good tool because every morning, the first thing I do when I sit down with my coffee and my Eggo waffles is that I open my thank you journal and I look back at what I wrote the past four years. And I I look and go, oh, wow, God, I forgot that you did that three years ago. Or I forgot that you did that five years ago. I encourage you to have a way that you are keeping track of things that God, either in your your journal or make your own thank you journal, a five-year thank you journal. I have loved looking back and seeing, oh, yes, that's right, you did that on this day last year or five years ago. We need to remember what God has done. The third thing that was part of God's preparation was eating of the produce of the land. We see that in verses 11 to 12. The celebration of the Passover marked a significant turning point in Israel's life. Because right after they celebrated Passover, that's when they began to live from the fruit of the land that they were about to possess. They were finally getting to partake of those blessings that God had promised, that land flowing with milk and honey. 
And so the significance of this is that the Abrahamic covenant had promised that land of milk and honey to the descendants, and now they were finally enjoying the fruit of the land. And what they had here, that that bread, that corn, was just a foretaste of what was waiting for them. So by eating of the produce of the land, it was confirmation of God's abundant blessing that he had promised. And then the very next day, the manna ceased. Why? Because the manna was God's provision while they were in the wilderness, while they were disobedient, while they were wandering. But now they would be enjoying the abundance of the land that God wanted them to partake of. So again, what's the application for us today from this tool of preparation? Are we focusing on the spiritual blessings that God has for us? Or are we still snacking on the things of the world? Are we still wanting to get our nourishment and enjoyment from the world? Or the spiritual blessings that God wants us to feast on? And then the fourth thing that was part of God's preparation, and this was just for Joshua, this wasn't for all the people, And that was the divine encounter in verses 13 to 15. It says that it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes. He looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And the question comes up, who was this captain of the host of the Lord? Was he a man? Was he an angel? Was he God? And most scholars believe that this was an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, that it was Jesus before he ever came to the earth, born in the manger, to die for our sins. But this was an appearance of him. And we... We know it had to be God and not an angel because the angel or the man or whoever did not stop him when he worshipped. Joshua recognized that he was standing on holy ground and he worshipped the captain of the host of the Lord. Why was Joshua even out there? You know, he had probably, we don't know exactly where he was. We just know he had gone out. He was by Jericho. And it could have been because at this point, God given him any instructions, or at least it's not recorded in Scripture. Like for the, the crossing of the Jordan River, he had given him specifics. At this point, there were no specifics. Maybe he had gone out to kind of look at Jericho and think in his mind, okay, how are we going to get into that city? Because it was closed up tight. Maybe he was just trying to come up with that plan. Maybe he was feeling overwhelmed by the task, and he just needed time alone. Maybe he was out there praying. What was the significance of this divine encounter? Well, it was a time where God reminded Joshua, you're not fighting this battle alone. God would fight with him and for him. And so the application for us today is that sometimes we're going to find ourselves 
fighting a battle, and we're beginning to doubt. We're wondering, can I handle it? I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to get around this. And fear sets in. And we need time alone in the presence of the Lord to remind us that we're not alone, that he is with us every step of the way. We're not fighting our battles by ourselves. We need to make sure we take time out and have that presence of the Lord that we we enjoy and sit in his presence. The tool of preparation takes time, but we need to be prepared before we step out on that journey that God has ahead for us, before we fight those battles. Because if we don't, it's going to bring unnecessary pain for ourselves because we stepped out ahead of time. I've shared with you in the past, I, when I was in my 20s and 30s, maybe in my 40s, I loved climbing mountains. That was my passion. Now, I don't think I would make it very far. But I remember my church in Dallas, every summer, would take a week, and we would take a group from our church to Colorado, to the mountains. We called it family camp. And on Friday of every week, whoever wanted to would climb a 14,000-foot mountain. I wanted to climb Mount Chavanaugh. I had looked at it. I knew I wanted to do it. And so I got up at 4 o'clock with everybody, and we headed out at 6 o'clock to climb Chavano, a six-hour hike uphill. And I was not prepared. I wanted to get there, but I wasn't prepared. I had not gone and hiked the smaller mountains to get built up. I had not gone up to higher altitude to get used to the oxygen deficit. I didn't have the right kind of hiking boots, which I didn't realize that they needed to be a little bit longer so that when you come downhill, your toes aren't just hitting the end of the boots for four hours or three hours. I learned that. I I asked the guys with me, could I just take my boots off and walk downhill barefooted, which they very quickly said no. And um, I was not prepared. I made it to the top. But it was not pretty, and when I got to the bottom, I very quickly lost my two big toenails and had to wear sandals for like three weeks because I didn't, I wasn't prepared. Yeah, I got to the top, but it was not enjoyable. We need to let God do what he needs to do to prepare us and not just jump out without being prepared. So, the first two principles to help us trust and obey God in the battles of life, or we need to be patient, trust God's timing. We need to be prepared, let God do what he needs to do to prepare you. And third, we need to be obedient. We need to follow God's plan even when it doesn't make sense. Now, chapter 6, this is where chapter 6 comes in. Uh, Verse 1 begins by telling us Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went in, no one went out. So if you're an Israelite or you're Joshua, you're looking at that and thinking, how in the world are we going to get in and take that city? From a human perspective, it was impossible. 
But it wasn't impossible for God. And God encouraged Joshua in verse 2, and he said, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. He told Joshua how it would end. It's yours. Now you just have to go and take it. And then God gave him the battle plan, which you looked at this week, the walking around the city one time for six days, no talking. And then the seventh day, you'd do it seven times, and then you would shout, and the walls would fall down. How would you have responded had you been one of those Israelites? I'm not sure what I would have done. I probably would have laughed. But they trusted and obeyed. That's why I love this generation today. Because they, I mean, that was a pretty big step of faith. You mean we're not going to use ladders and battering rams and swords? I mean, we're just going to walk and then shout? But that was God's strategy. It didn't make sense, but they trusted and obeyed. And God's plan worked. It struck fear in their hearts. We don't read that the the Canaanites did anything to them during those seven days, that they didn't throw rocks down, they didn't taunt them. They were, it was like they were paralyzed by God's plan. And then they, they did exactly what he said. They trusted, even though that plan didn't make sense, and they obeyed, and they saw victory. And verse 21 tells us that they utterly destroyed everything in the city except for Rahab. God was faithful to the promise that the spies had made. But he defeated Jericho in a way that only he would get the glory. They couldn't take the glory for being such great warriors. And then the number seven You probably notice that that figured in quite a bit. You see seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, seven trips. And seven is a significant number in Scripture because it signifies perfection or completion. And it reminds us that God's plan, no matter how foolish it may sound to us, God's plan is always perfect, and it's always going to complete his purpose. And that's what he did at Jericho. They trusted and obeyed. And God gave them victory over Jericho. And if we are going to trust and obey and see victory over our battles, we have to apply those three principles. Be patient. Trust God's timing. Second, we have to be prepared. Let him do what he needs to do. And third, we have to be obedient. We have to trust and obey, even when what he's asking us to do makes no sense at all. I asked you this in your study, but I, I really want you to ponder this this week. Is just, what is your Jericho today? Are your Jerichos? What are those obstacles that have the potential of hindering your spiritual journey, your spiritual progress and experiencing the abundant life that God wants you to enjoy. What is in your way? What are those Jerichos? And one of my Jerichos that I fight, and I fight it almost daily, is just 
the lies of Satan and listening to his lies. You're not good enough to do that. Why are you in ministry? Why? You think you can write? You're not as good a teacher as that. Look, and the comparison trip comes in, the trap of, I'm not as good a teacher as she is. Gosh, I don't have those cute clothes like they do. I can't do this. And I listen to that, and all my, you know, most of my adult life, my mentors, professors have told me, Cricket, you're your worst enemy. Because you're listening to what Satan's telling you, that you're no good. You're single. What's wrong with you? I mean, nobody would marry you because obviously there's something wrong with you. Those are my Jerichos. But what are yours? And what are we going to do about it? Do we keep going and trusting God? Or do we do our own thing? Are you letting God fight the battle for you? Or are you fighting it alone? Are we going to be like my cat, Hobson, which I have one last picture (laughs) as a visual. Are we going to be like my cat, Hobson, who there is no... uh, uh, The other thing, when you come to my house, there's no centerpieces on any of the, the, the tables because they don't stay there. Are you going to be like my cat, Hobson, who does not understand what it means to obey... Are you going to do things your way? Or are we going to be like Joshua, who trusted and obeyed God? As much as I love my cat, Hobson, I don't want to be like him. And I pray that we would trust and obey like Joshua. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for these lessons. Thank you for showing us, even in our own lives, what the battles are that we fight. And Father, I pray that each of us would just make that commitment to trust and obey you, even when we don't understand why, even when we don't understand your plan, but that we would trust you and we would obey you. And Father, now as we move into a time of fellowship around good chicken sandwiches and dessert. I pray that you would give us just that sweet time of communion with each other. Father, we love you. Thank you for providing for us. And I pray that not one woman in this room would miss out on that abundant Christian life that you want for them. I pray they not let one obstacle get in the way, but they would embrace all the blessings that you have for them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.